Hello and welcome to the 2020 F1 Strategy Report, powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. My name's Michael Laminato, and this is Round 5, the 70th Anniversary Grand Prix. When Mercedes locked out the front row with a one-second advantage, it looked like Silverstone 2 was destined to be another procession. But the warm weather and a softer range of tyres from Pirelli meant it was anything but. In fact, Pulsar of Valtteri Bottas and Lewis Hamilton struggled badly just to keep the rubber on their tyres long enough to get to the end of the race. Instead, it was Red Bull Racing that fielded the fastest car, and Max Verstappen wielded it brilliantly in the warm conditions to record a memorable first non-Mercedes win of the season. To dissect it all, I'm joined by BBC F1 commentator Jack Nichols. Jack, how are you doing? Good, good. How are you? Good. I'm always worried going into races where Mercedes dominate qualifying by almost an entire second that this show is going to be quite dull, but very pleased to have had yeah, a pretty well, interesting Yeah, well, I'll do results. my best to, to not make it dull. We'll see what happens. But um, I, think, uh, <laughs> I think, yeah, just quite surprising, really. And it's always amazing when, because we've seen Mercedes have domination before, obviously, for a long time. Um, And when there's a track where there's three or four tenths of a second ahead, there's always a chance that Red Bull can do a little bit of something, do a little bit of strategy, do a, there's a neatly timed safety car. You look at um, Austria earlier this year, uh, they were pretty Mm. dominant, doing pretty well, but a safety car meant Alex Albon was able to pit and be on softer tires and had a shot at taking the win. So you always anticipate it in a, in a, in a, in a busy race sort of scenario. But here, when they were this far ahead, there was, it wasn't a, let's say, crazy race, you know? It was just such a, mm-hmm. a, a, a strange scenario that led, to, that led to Max Verstappen getting the lead and, and being there the whole time. But when I say strange scenario, it wasn't like some weird outside factor or rain or a safety car. or It was just actually how the, the cars were managing their tyres. I think you touch on a really good point there, that this is... Absolutely a, a meritorious win. You know, yeah. Nothing sort of handed Red Bull Racing this victory. But I do also wonder, because I, I feel like we will be at risk of getting carried away in this podcast. Exciting <laughs> when a non-Mercedes car wins a race. You know, and I, don't, I don't want that to happen. We've got to be grabbed back. And it's, it is exciting. And of course, we've got Spain coming up where it's going to be hot, another high-energy circuit. But you know, Mercedes still had that pace in qualifying. And for, albeit only like two or three laps in the race when the tyres were absolutely new, we still got that glimpse that that car is very quick. Do you feel like this is a genuine turning point where maybe Red Bull has found another level, or will this be really? Are we about to see that this was a blip when we get to this this next weekend coming up? I think overall it was a blip. I think Red Bull have found, I wouldn't say they've found another level, but they've found a competitive advantage. And are they going to be able to use that competitive advantage at every race? No. But will there be occasions during the season where that competitive advantage will come to the fore? I think, yes, they're gonna, it's going to be a very niche sec- set of circumstances. <laughs> it's going to need to be tyres that are pretty soft. It's going to need to be very warm. It's going to need to be a circuit that is harsh on the tyres and that sort of thing. So all of the combinations will need to come together for Red Bull to take advantage of that uh, advantage they have because I can't see it happening a huge amount. It has to be the perfect storm, basically. And that happened yesterday. Is that going to happen again? If I look at the circuits that we're going to on the calendar, you know, we've never been to sort of Portimao's and stuff, and that's coming up later in the year. Spa, 
maybe a lot of traction zones in Spa if it ends up being some kind of Belgian heat wave. But then you're on a circuit that's like really, really power sensitive. So surely the Mercedes advantage is still going to exist. So I struggle to see that perfect storm coming again. And I think the only way that Red Bull will win again is if is the aforementioned craziness of a safety car and everyone can, you know, pit and change sort of Albon style in uh, in Austria. Certainly niche circumstances, I suppose. But this is a niche year. 2020 has to be described as a niche (laughs) year. So you did touch on the tyres and they are absolutely key to this whole story, really, because last week already we saw them blowing up and they were the hardest tyres in Pirelli's range. This week uh, they were a step softer. Formula One wanted to spice up this back-to-back a uh, race of the same circus a little bit and certainly did that and certainly achieved its aim. Uh, and I, I guess one of the, the the themes leading into this weekend, the fact with these softer tyres, was that none of the teams actually really used them in practice at all. Some teams used maybe one of the medium tyres. Renault weirdly did use a set of the hard tyres and that kind of came back to bite them in the end. But it did mean that, you know, if you wanted to find some mitigating factors for Mercedes... They didn't really know what they were getting into, did they, by the time they got to the race and the tyres were just not working for them? No, and I guess ultimately that's their choice, isn't it? You know, <laughs> because, uh, because that's, the, that's the scenario that they chose to enter. And I think, I think those are mitigating circumstances for sure. And I think the tyres, especially after all the tyre failures the week before in Silverstone, in the British Grand Prix, there was already that concern that going softer on the tyre compounds would 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 make a big difference. But I never really quite understood the the tyre failures from last week because you think of, when you traditionally think of a tyre going away or using or being overworn, the grip goes away and the grip mm. drops off. And that's what we didn't see last week. So when Hamilton is, and, and Bottas, when their tyres are popping, it's not like they suddenly lost all pace. It's not like they, obviously they did once it popped, but like just before, they were still doing okay. They, it wasn't like the tyres had fallen off a cliff and, um, and the grip had gone because then they would have come into the pits because they needed to anyway because the grip had gone. So it was this strange thing of when, we, when we're told by Pirelli or uh, by teams that the tyre will last 40 laps, let's say, that generally means 40 laps before the grip goes away. Not 40 laps, then it'll blow up. <laughs> So I, f- I found that quite an interesting thing uh, with the tyres last week. And then going a step softer, it's almost like, well, it will reduce the tyre life, but just a life in terms of grip rather than a life in terms of existence. So I think that was, that was, a, that was a strange one. And obviously everybody knew because the soft tyre last week was, was not great and people were complaining about that straight away. So, you know, make it a step softer and, and you're going to be in a world of trouble and they couldn't avoid that world of trouble i would imagine that everyone could sort of see it coming or mercedes could see it coming or see the possibility of it coming but but couldn't react in order to uh, to mitigate against it and still win the grand prix which with two cars at the front of the field to be honest they they sort of really still should have done over the over the course of the weekend it's not a huge criticism of them still you know a second and third yeah good effort but um i think uh there's still a definite disappointment that they finished 11 seconds behind Verstappen. Yeah, I mean, even saying 11 seconds does seem quite significant when we're talking about Mercedes, doesn't yeah. it? How often can we say that over the last, oh, I don't even know how many years it's been. I'm trying to think now. I know they've lost races, but 
Seems like it's rare that they're conclusively beaten. It's normally because they hit each other. Yeah. <laughs> the reason they tend to lose Grand Prix. Yeah, Not exactly. this time. Not yet, anyway. No. Part of the uh, step to these uh, softer tyres meant the pressures were higher. That seemed to play a role in terms of the way the tyres were being used by Mercedes. It was causing this blistering. Quite, I mean, it's impressive when you can see that kind of thing on television, I think, to see the tyres literally almost literally eating themselves to pieces, essentially. It gives it a bit of real life, because tyre wear, I think, is something that mm. people at home, me, really kind of struggle to, not to comprehend, but it's just not a very visual thing. When someone mm. is, um, especially especially because it kind of, if it goes away at the front, you end up with understeer, and you can see understeer when you're watching on an onboard, but it's not like suddenly the drivers are really fighting the car or it's all over the place or it's very visible like that you know and so i think to see the blisters kind of is is quite interesting because um it's a very visible medium i've always wondered whether you could color the rubber oh yeah right as it goes down so the top so the top of the tire is like i don't know black or something mm. and then it and then it and then it kind of gradually you know, like, imagine the side of a cliff yeah. with all, like, the sedimentary rock kind of thing. And you have, like, strips. So, oh, he's at the black <laughs> layer. Oh, and then now he's down to the red layer. Oh, he's down to the green, you know, where's the tire wears away. But I don't know if it works quite like that. But uh, anyway, yeah, I thought the blistering was interesting because you could visibly see the issues. And in the same way that you could, I suppose, at the, at the British Grand Prix with the front left of, of, uh, of Hamilton and Bottas. You know, they were looking visibly to the to the naked eye in pretty bad shape that's a great idea i love the sedimentary tire idea if you can you should patent that quickly yeah. and tell someone i think as well i but don't if know you, imagine driving around and hamilton's complaining about his tires like always <laughs> and he you know but you can see that he's you know three steps of wear into the tire or he's used this much tire rather than the aws graphics that mm. you know guess um <laughs> It would be interesting. It would be interesting. It'd be, I don't, it might not be possible. I'm not, I'm not a tyre technician. No, but someone is. And someone so will someone, tell us. You're right. Someone is. <laughs> well, we assume. We assume. Some, maybe well, there is actually, no actually, Pirelli. <laughs> yeah, that was, it's like, kind of like the moodering of tyres in some respects, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I think there's something in that. We'll write to the right people and see if we can get that yeah. sorted out. So the blistering was causing quite a, a visual disruption, I suppose, there. Uh, that was causing all sorts of problems. I thought it was interesting, and this probably plays into the idea of whether or not Red Bull Racing is going to get another chance this year, but the idea that, yes, these tyres were probably too soft for this circuit. I mean, no one even wanted to use the soft tyre at all in the race. Kevin Magnussen retired because he ran out of usable tyres. Like, that's fairly drastic. But yeah. It did mean we got two stops and one stops, and that's kind of what Formula 1 wants to happen, isn't it? And it didn't feel like, for most of this race anyway, there was a lot of aggressive tyre management. Certainly some were doing it more than others, but it wasn't one of those races where everyone's really taking your 10 seconds off the pace. Maybe this is the way, you know, should we be having more aggressive tyre choices like this rather than keeping it kind of safe to stop people complaining, which seems to be the prime reason Pirelli tends to play it conservative. We go round and round with Mercedes, don't we? Everybody mm. loved Canada in, was it 2012, I want to say? Alonso yeah. coming through the field and it was a crazy race because the, the tyres were, were, you know, failing or running out of grip and falling off cliffs and everyone was like, let's, you know, we want that. <laughs> Then we go, so they probably go, oh, okay. And then they build the tires and then we have four stop races or something. And everyone, oh, well, we can't push on these tires. We want tires we can push on. But then I think the, the, we don't, we didn't get that. I don't think we get that when we get the one stop. I think 
I don't think we have drivers pushing. Mm-hmm. And because they can only do a one stop, they're still. It feels like they're still saving tires to not do a two stop, right? So we're in this position where, because a lot of the times, um, you know, we get technical briefings from the teams and and that sort of thing, and they say a two stop is kind of pretty much the same, but you lose track position. So why would you possibly do it? It's why we get the train races in Monaco and Singapore because they know that the person at the front at the train can just go really slowly. No one can overtake them. That means they can do a one-stop, and that means they can win the race. And so it's that. It almost, for me, it needs to be that a two-stop would be quicker, but you lose track position. You know, that's the sort of dream scenario, is that the one-stop is uh, the sort of safest route, but the, but the two-stop is quicker, but you lose track position. Because at the moment, one-stop and two-stop are fairly similar in, in, in a lot of the races. Okay, like I know it's um, different race by race, but sort of as a general rule, the general things you hear, one stop, two stop, about the same if you were running on an empty track. But the two stop puts you out of track position, out of sync with other people, gets you bogged down in traffic, you can't overtake. And so you've got to go one stop. So it was interesting. Watching Hamilton come through and, uh, and fight back past Bottas was, you know, fairly entertaining, although it had a certain sense of inevitability around it, especially with DRS as well. So... I don't know. Strategy's really strategy's really difficult and I, I don't think I know what I what I want from Formula One, honestly. I don't know I don't know if I want two stops, I don't know if I want three stops, would I like four stops? Do I want one stops? Do I want them to just go flat out from the start of the race to the end of the race? I don't know because you tried every which way and it feels like the, the grass is always greener sometimes. I think that's a really good summary, actually. It seems like almost probably for as long as I've followed this sport, it does love that grass is always greener idea yeah. it never seems like we've had a great year oh we need to bring back refueling yeah and that comes up all the time and everyone is like well no hang on remember when we had refueling everyone said how boring refueling was <laughs> and everything only happened in the pits like what what do we what do we what do we want I don't, I, yeah was, maybe we're getting a bit too deep here <laughs> maybe too existential <laughs> maybe it is a little bit existential but look it's 70th anniversary it's you know it's got to find a yeah, time to do it at some exactly. point not that anything ever changes though even then next year things will change and this year will have been much better those alphas were really <laughs> blistering their tires in 1950 weren't they <laughs> It was horrific stuff. Yeah. It was really horrific. Let's look at the race, I suppose, uh, itself a little bit more because while in the end it turned out the Red Bull racing car was just better on the day, it had better pace uh, because it was using its tyres better, it was dealing better in the heat, all around the package was just more competent on this race. There were a couple of key factors that really brought that home and I think ended up tripping up Mercedes. And one was that Max was the only driver to start the race mm. on the hard tyre after doing it in qualifying. Only just got through to the top 10 shootout, qualified ninth in Q2. It was a bit of a risk. And I got this sense, and I'm interested to know in your take on this, we go back a little bit to the previous round in Britain where... You know, Max said, okay, he was happy to finish second, but clearly there was a win on the table there. They weren't to know it, of course, but after Bottas's tyre failed, you know, there was a chance that Hamilton's was going to, but they didn't go for that aggressive option and they consolidated second. Whereas from this weekend here, from the start of qualifying with this tyre gamble through to the way they really applied their strategy against Mercedes in the race, we got that aggressive old Red Bull racing back. I can't can't quite decide on... Silverstone. I've thought about it a lot over the last week, and I think you're right. I think I'm really surprised that that they did pit Verstappen in the end because they're 
but then is pitting the aggressive move. I think this is the this. I, I'm not sure what the aggressive move in inverted commas would have been because there's there's an argument that says well. If Verstappen's up into second place, to then still pit and go for the fastest lap to get 19 points rather than 18 is an aggressive move. And maybe, oh, actually, well, we're now we're into second. Let's just consolidate that second position. And maybe Lewis will break down. Maybe that's the safe option. You can think of it in both ways. Mm. Do you see what I mean? Like, oh, we're into second now. Let's not pit for fastest lap. Let's just secure this yeah. second place. Would have been the safe option that would have led him to win the Grand Prix. So I really like Red Bull as a race team. I think they're the best racing team out there. And I think they are usually pretty faultless when it comes to things like that. So that obviously worked out for them well in, in Q2 this week. And yeah, I'm still a bit torn on what they should have done, even with or without hindsight mm. from Silverstone. Obviously, they they should have not pitted and won the Grand Prix. But, but they, you know, they weren't to know that was going to happen, as you say. So I really like how aggressive they are and they risks they're taken but but at the same time i think the only reason they're they're able to take those risks and to be a racy aggressive team is because they're not good enough mm. and that's the that's the strange scenario everybody slates ferrari <laughs> and rightly so they've had some shockers but mercedes mercedes have i can't remember the exact numbers from the graphs after the various races but Mercedes have improved by what three tenths of a second a lap or you know something in that region, and Red Bull are basically at the same level as they were last year. Obviously, Ferrari have lost a lot because of engine and all of that kind of stuff, but Ferrari get slated for not catching up with Mercedes. But there comes a point, doesn't there, where where Red Bull, with all their resources and infrastructure and past success. Okay, they don't have the the budget necessarily of uh, of Ferrari, especially. But should they be doing better? Do they have this um, reputation as a great race team because they can start because they're in a class of their own? Because they're not as quick as Mercedes, but they are going to finish behind them. Whatever happens, they're not going to be bogged down in the racing points and Renaults, so they can just be aggressive because they have no consequences in life in the same way Verstappen can be aggressive because he's never been fighting for a championship there's never been a title on the line there's never been a oh better just collect the points it's just do whatever you want each race kind of thing so I think the um the aggressiveness of Red Bull's been great to see very entertaining and it gets them wins like the other day but I think if you offered them being an aggressive race team and really cool in strategy and pit stops and stuff versus actually being quick I think they take the latter. That's a good point. I think it's that they tend to get caught up in being the underdog, I suppose, isn't it? It's very easy to support an underdog, and every sports story needs one, I guess, even if the underdog yeah. doesn't win. But, you know, when do they get to be the overdog? Is that even a word? The dog. That's, what, <laughs> that's really what they want at heart, I think. And it is a good point. You know, you only get a chance to pressure the top team when you're not the top team. And it's mm. usually Red Bull that isn't the top team for the last... Six years. And every year, and every year we spend the last five races of the season, Red Bull are the top team. Mm. And you're like, here we go. <laughs> next year, next year, this is going to be great. And then doesn't quite, doesn't quite make it. It's absolutely right. And you do wonder how long that can go for. And there's probably a lot of hope being pinned on the regulation changes, right? Because that's when everyone gets a second yeah. shot. But you know, what reason do we really have to think that that much will change? Hopefully everything gets a bit closer, but... 
you know, what reason do we have to think that Mercedes is going to make a big mistake and fall over themselves and, and Red Bull will be the, the winning car? I, I Sometimes I swing between being very optimistic and extremely cynical. And <laughs> it just depends on the day, I think. But we had, look, we had a good race this weekend, so I'll try and be optimistic. Yeah. Uh, I think what also ended up being quite key here, Verstappen starting on that hard tyre made it look like the hard tyre was going to be great for Mercedes. You know, yeah. they were struggling in that first part of the race. The blistering was taking place almost immediately. Verstappen was right behind Hamilton and the team was telling him to slow down and he made some quip about his grandma and said he wanted to go faster and that was all very entertaining. But I guess in Mercedes' mind, well, they probably had a greater understanding of their own problems at that point, but it seemed like all they needed to do was get off those mediums and then you know, normal racing would resume. But it took only a couple of laps for the blistering to re-emerge on the hards, and it seemed like they just pushed too hard too quickly. It's ironic, because I think they've made that happen to other teams. I'm thinking back to the Italian Grand Prix a couple of years ago, where they did that to Raikkonen, essentially, mm. made him push his tyres too hard too early, and the same thing kind of happened. And really, while Verstappen took the lead later in the race, effectively, it was here before even lap 20 that the race was kind of over, because Verstappen kind of tricked everyone. Yeah, and that was very impressive from from Red Bull and from Verstappen and and like you say it's that kind of kind of misinformation almost that 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 tricks Mercedes into into doing that and it was interesting that Mercedes kind of split their strategies as well mm-hmm. because that's something we very very rarely see from the Mercedes team and I think that's when you not that's when you know they're in trouble but what was it Austria when Hamilton wanted a step softer tire than uh whatever Bottas had changed onto. I think I think Bottas went onto the hards. Hamilton wanted the medium so he could close down and attack him and and race against him. But the team were like, no, it's all about being fair. It's all about, you know, uh, doing the same thing. We're not preferring a driver. We're not putting a driver on a preferential treatment uh, or different strategy. But then today, once Red Bull are involved, it's, okay, we've got to do, you know, different things to try and win the Grand Prix. So I think that's always an interesting dynamic at Mercedes when the strategies do differ or are forced to differ because they they spend so much time trying to make it as fair as possible. That's a terrific point and that really was the story I guess of the second half of Valtteri's race wasn't it? So once Verstappen effectively had the lead at his first pit stop lap 26 he had to pass Bottas but that was pretty much a formality then kept him in check they pitted on the same lap lap 32 and that was pretty much the job done for Verstappen because clearly Mercedes didn't have the pace but then there was this divergence for the battle for what it effectively was second between Hamilton and Bottas Hamilton for a bit looked like he was going to try and stay out for a one stop but I guess they all remembered the exploding tires from last week and thought better of it and eventually stopped a little bit later on but I mean, you're right. They're they, they usually so much about fairness between drivers, even if there's a little bit of tolerance there for them to try and fight each other. That's normally when they're very much in the lead and it's just a race among themselves. Mm. But Bottas here, the guy starting from pole, seemed like he was in a very good mood on Saturday as well, poor guy. And then all yeah. of a sudden, not really through any fault of his own because he didn't do anything wrong in this race. He managed the pace well, kept ahead of Hamilton at the start. But team strategy effectively left him defenceless against Hamilton late in the race, and Hamilton finished second and Bottas finished third. I mean, do you feel like I mean he's already thirty four points down the championship now? This could become a real contentious point, and he sort of said it after the race, didn't he? Accused the team of sleeping. Yeah, exactly. That's the, and that's what the team have been desperately trying to avoid is 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 them getting sort of involved in their drivers' fights for the for the title. So. 
I think it's um, it's an interesting one. And I don't, look, Hamilton finishing second in the 70th anniversary Grand Prix ahead of Bottas, that three-point swing, or um, I suppose a six-point swing between 18 and 15 points, that's not deciding the championship, is it? Mm. You know, that's not... I, I think if we were in a tighter scenario and this had given Hamilton an edge or... But Hamilton was so far ahead arriving to this race that I think it's I think it's contentious on a micro point and correctly contentious and I think Bottas has 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 the right to feel a little bit aggrieved especially considering all the issues of before but you can't I can't help but think it doesn't matter (laughs) you know what I mean I I think that's that's kind of that's kind of the point is that this isn't going to be the moment that the that the championship swings it's Bottas's Bottas blowing up his front left a week ago in Silverstone is going to be way more of a way more of a of a turning point than than this was and look maybe we've got more turning points to come maybe we've got more DNFs for Hamilton maybe we've got whatever so I don't think this second and third swing because also it was was it perfectly fair from Mercedes maybe not but was it clumsily done was it it wasn't it wasn't Ferrari style team orders <laughs> that we saw in uh Sochi last year where it's all just a bit of a mess and the team have really let themselves down. I don't, you know, I don't think it was that bad from from Mercedes on on this particular front with Bottas's strategy. That's fair, and I think it is. It's a bit of a trait of Mercedes, and maybe it's because they came to the realization that there was really no way to beat Verstappen a little bit yeah. too late, because that's sort of what they were trying to protecting against the undercut with Bottas, and then they wanted to see what was going to happen with Hamilton. It was a little bit not clumsy in a Ferrari sense, just in a regular clumsy sense. If there were two yeah. different tiers, yeah, exactly. It wasn't. It wasn't incompetence. No, that's yeah. probably a better. It's a better description. Leave Ferrari out of it. Although I feel like we should talk about Ferrari now, anyway, because that was the top three sorted. It was essentially Max Verstappen proving he was faster than everyone else, then Mercedes figuring out what to do with what was left of the race. Charles Leclerc finished fourth, which is incredible to think because that car is not that good. Although I'm kind of kind of beginning to think that maybe they've found a little bit more now that they've taken a bit of downforce off, so that the engine is not so troubled because. They've had a couple of decent results, but specifically with Charles Leclerc. And let's talk about him briefly and then Sebastian Vettel a little bit more broadly because one of the few drivers to make a one-stop work at a race where that wasn't meant to happen because of all of the the talk about tyres and the softness and the explosiveness and all that kind of thing. And I thought it was really impressive that it was sort of him from the cockpit driving this. He was really persuading his engineer to not make more than one stop and they relented to that, and in the end, it paid massive dividends for them. And I think it was Singapore last year where, I might be wrong here, but I think it was Singapore where Leclerc had this sort of realisation on the radio that he needed to be more vocal on the radio, that he needed to be demanding what he wanted from strategy, that that's what Vettel was doing. And I think that's what that's what Vettel... Um, I think that's what Vettel sort of did to get the right strategy for... Singapore and to then win the race and that was kind of Leclerc's realization so it's great to see him getting stronger and stronger on that front as a sort of future world championship protagonists and he was uh, you know retired in Styria 11th in Hungary but apart from that it's been second third and fourth in the in the three Grand Prix where he's scored points so I think he's I think he's outperforming the car at the moment I think he's get or he's maximizing the car. I think that's the that's the way to put it. And to be honest, that's all you can really ask for when you're in that midfield fight. So I think Ferrari are now just about 
Oh, you're not best of the rest because you have the racing points. But in in race trim, they seem to they seem to be okay enough to score some solid points, and I imagine finish third in the championship because I don't think racing points are going to pick up all the all the points that they need over the course of this year because I don't think they'll turn results. I don't think they'll turn their qualifyings into into good results. Whereas I think Le- Leclerc will. Well, the question I was going to ask you is what is the difference here between Leclerc and Vettel? Is it one driver outperforming the machinery and the other is showing where it really is? Or is it Vettel, in this case, of course, is the lesser performing driver, crazy to think, as a four-time world champion, I suppose, who is not getting enough out of this? Because this is proving one of the really interesting sub-stories of this race, I think, the ongoing degradation of the Ferrari-Vettel relationship. And in this sense, it was... Vettel quite publicly, once on team radio and then in various interviews after the race, saying that Ferrari kind of screwed up his race. Admittedly, he probably needed to say that he sort of screwed it up himself with the first lap, but then subsequent to that, they didn't make it easier for him by sacrificing his strategy to benefit Leclerc. It wouldn't be out of character for Ferrari, but is this just a driver with his head down kind of blaming others, or is there a little bit more to this, do you think? I think there's something more to it. I don't know what more it is. But last year, Leclerc was really impressive. Came in, beat Vettel, took a load of pole positions, but he was a bit ahead of Vettel. Mm-hmm. He had a couple of tents on him. Now Vettel is nowhere, just nowhere, and struggling so badly, and struggling worse than struggling worse than I think I've ever seen a world champion mm-hmm. in 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 recent you know years in recent. Memory, I've never seen even, you know, when Kimi Raikkonen's not super on the pace at Ferrari and he's, I don't know, a couple of tenths off Vettel and there you go. But I can't think of a champion being so... It feels it feels like Red Bull in the Verstappen-Alban slash Gasly scenario. You know, it doesn't feel dissimilar to that where it's like, you've got Verstappen, yes, okay, he's a great driver. You've got Leclerc, yes, okay, he's a great driver. I don't buy that. Albon and Vettel are that far away from those teammates. Albon a little bit more maybe just because of inexperience and Verstappen being very good. And But Vettel was close enough to Leclerc last year to give him a fight on occasion. Leclerc clearly had the best year. Leclerc is clearly uh, on an upward trajectory. But this year has been such a strange one for, for Vettel that I, I, I'm not saying there's anything uh, underhand going on or or anything suspicious going on. But it doesn't quite add up for me, the the level of the level of the performance from from Vettel. He's thirteenth in the championship. He scored ten points. He's got four more points than Nico Hulkenberg, <laughs> who finished seventh yesterday, and that was his first point score of the season in his second race of the season. He's got less than Gasly. It doesn't compute for me. Something is going on there more so. Only Giovinazzi, Kafiat, and Magnussen have scored less points than Vettel, who have scored, other than the pointless drivers. There's, Vettel is not this far off. Vettel is not this slow. Vettel is not this, this error-prone. We saw him making mistakes in the heat of the championship fight over the last couple of years, absolutely. But what's going on now is really, I think, a bit perplexing. Perplexing is certainly a good way to put it. He hasn't really worked hard to dismiss that kind of... The, the idea that something is going on, whether underhanded or not... I think he was asked this weekend whether he had the same car as his teammate and he, again, didn't really want to dismiss that and whether or not that's just to 
stir the pot is, uh, I guess, another question subsequent, subsequent to that. But clearly that still illustrates mm. something is going on. And he suggested it was very much happening, being expressed in the strategy this weekend. His first stop on lap 22 came kind of early for someone on a hard tyre and it happened just as Charles Leclerc, having made his one stop, was approaching from behind him. And he kind of said, well, maybe they wanted to stop me just to get me out of Charles' way. But that in itself asks questions because, okay, one, let's put to one side the idea that Ferrari would kind of dud one strategy to benefit the other. But ordinarily, it's not much of a a problem to ask teammates to move aside for one another when they're on different strategies. Yeah. Do you think that's a sign that there's just no trust to execute strategies within this team anymore, at least on the part of Vettel, who, of course, has been pushed off? That's a really good question. That's a really good question because, like you say, it's pretty standard in F1 that if your teammate's coming through on newer tyres or tyres that are, well, yeah, newer tyres, basically, but he's still got to pit again or, or whatever and you're not actually fighting for position, you just get out of the way. I remember I worked with Jolian Palmer on the on BBC Radio, and he said, yeah, that would that would happen all the time. If Hulkenberg had the quicker tyre, then he'd come through. If Magnussen had the quicker, then you moved out of the way, and, and then it would work the other way around as well, although it uh, didn't work the other way around many times with uh, Hulkenberg for, for, for Jolian. But, uh, but with Magnussen, they were, they were very evenly matched, you know? So, um, and Melbourne last year, I think it, happened didn't it when they were running fifth and sixth or something and I think um, Vettel had newer tyres so they got Leclerc to get out of the way I think that happened and yeah it's a standard thing so why they felt they needed like you say whether they felt they couldn't ask Vettel to do it on the radio after the team order troubles of the end of last year and is he actually going to do it and then yeah maybe I mean that would be quite a sad indictment of what's going on at Ferrari if that were to be you know, the reason that, that it happened because, you know, you don't trust your driver. You don't, and Vettel ultimately, you know, he's, he's a fierce competitor, but he's a pretty respectable man, isn't he? I, I can't see him causing that much trouble, but maybe that is the level of, of, of deterioration within the team. I mean, I guess it's something that'll pan out over the course of the season. Presumably we'll get a bit more clarity mm. on exactly the status of that relationship. Uh, his race eventually went nowhere. Yes, it was principally undone by that spin that dropped him to last, but also the team left him out on hards for only 11 laps in the middle, gave him a longer stint on the medium tyre, and that really went nowhere for him. So overall, I think he's got fair reason to be, I guess, a little bit sceptical about what's going on, although he probably knows what's going on. Yeah. It's just us who don't know exactly what's going on. Someone in Ferrari, I'm sure, has figured it out by by now. Uh, finally, I do want to end on a, a quick note on Alex Albon. You sort of touched on it there. That's another driver pairing that's got quite a big disparity amongst it. But this was a fairly strong race for him. He kind of almost one-stopped. He went only six laps before his first stop off the medium, then did two stints on the hard. A really aggressive race. And, I mean, it was this time last year, of course, that he got the Red Bull drive over Gasly. And, you know, whereas Gasly was quite far off on qualifying on Verstappen and Albon so far has had quite a a gap between him and Verstappen in qualifying. I think the difference is that aggression in the race. And yesterday Albon had pretty terrific highlights reel, I feel like, for his Grand Prix to get up to fifth. Of course, he still did finish only fifth. But I think that there, and I'd love to know your opinion on this, the signs for Albon are still strong. And I think there's reasons to understand him when he says he's shocked that there's so much criticism of his position there after only a couple of races. I think that Gasly last year, the first half of the year, Red Bull were Red Bull was was slow, right? They were slower than the uh, 
uh, Mercedes slower than the Ferraris, and as a result, they were the, the third best team. And they weren't too far clear of the, of the midfield pack. So Gasly, when Gasly has a bad race or a bad qualifying and he's out in Q2, he's then got to fight back through the field. I remember Hungary, for example, last, mm. last year, I think, and he didn't, he didn't make up a huge amount of places and sort of wallowed around and finished maybe eighth or, or something like that and didn't make the progress that he would have wanted. Now, then by the time after the summer break, when uh, it was sixth in Hungary, it, when Albon joined the team, the car had got a lot better. Suddenly Verstappen was winning races and running really at the front. Okay, he won in Austria and uh, Germany before before um, Albon joined. But then he was, you know, podiums in Singapore, USA, he was third, Brazil, he won, Abu Dhabi, he was second. And so if you're the same distance away from your teammate, but the car is quicker, then suddenly Albon looks great because he's fifth, fourth, fifth, fourth, sixth. He's still a long way off Verstappen, but if Verstappen's first or second and Albon's fifth or sixth, then it looks, well, okay, he was in the race. You know, he was in the top six, unlike Gasly. And, but Verstappen was finishing just about fifth in Canada, for example, last year, just on pure pace when the car was worse. So Gasly, being the same amount of gap behind Verstappen, suddenly is eighth. And then he's 10th in France and then he's 7th in Austria because the car was worse. That's my kind of view of it. And I think Gasly, last year when Albon got promoted, he and Kofiat were kind of neck and neck, I would say. Okay, it was Albon's first year, don't get me wrong. Gasly's destroying Kofiat. And so I think Albon has been made to look not necessarily better than he is, but better than Gasly because of the nature of the Red Bull's car performance. And I think now we're seeing it again this year a little bit where the the car isn't right on the pace of the Mercedes. It's more towards the midfield. So suddenly Albon is getting bogged down in the midfield more. And we think it's a good race when he finishes best of the rest. So I'm not meaning to criticize Albon at all, but I find it really strange that Gasly can be driving so well at AlphaTauri, but was rubbish in the second Red Bull. That Alex Albon can match and beat Daniel Kafiat, who was okay at Red Bull. You know, he and uh, Ricardo was it were were pretty evenly matched. I think Kafiat finished ahead of Ricardo yeah, in the points so. one year. And Albon and Gasly can both beat him, but they're nowhere near in the Red Bull. I just can't help but think that something is going on with the second car, and not underhand, not you know, in a in a, in a in a intentional way, because Red Bull would want would love to have two cars, but there's just some kind of problem there that. Verstappen's a mega talent, but I can't believe that no one is able to get this close to him. It is very interesting. The teammate dynamics in Formula yeah. 1 are always quite interesting. I feel like we've got some very good ones this season over the last 12, 24 months and probably some in the next little while as well, considering there's still things to be resolved, of course, at Racing Point, of course, at Ferrari. And, well, it seems like Cyril Bitbull doesn't want anything to do with Daniel Ricciardo either. Some very interesting things yeah. happening up and down the field. And an interesting Grand Prix as a canvas for all of that to be expressed. And it was a pleasure to talk about with you, Jack. No worries. Thank you for having me. 
That was BBC F1 commentator Jack Nichols. The Strategy Report is powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. Play it for free on iOS and Android devices. If you want more Strategy Report, you can get every episode by subscribing on Google and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on your favourite podcast app, plus all of your socials. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love it if you could give us a rating and a review to help other F1 fans find the show. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast, and if you're looking for an alternative take on the 70th anniversary Grand Prix, have a search for Box of Neutrals in your podcast app of choice to hear us feel bad for Lawrence Stroll, but just for a moment. My name's Michael Laminato. You can look me up on Twitter at Michael Laminato, and I'll catch you next week for a review of the Spanish Grand Prix.